I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one 844 Cosentix. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today we talk brainstorms with UX designer Brian. Let's go. First question. You thought you'd see everyone's idea in the team brainstorm, but you've got a grand total of one. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, right? Because in Miro, the team can add ideas now or later. And with privacy mode, we can keep them anonymous until they're good to share. Correct. Next, you need the best way to explain your idea, but all you have is a few sticky notes. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, because, you know, in Miro, I could record videos, add text, images, links, and digital sticky notes, of course. Present my thoughts the way I want. Right again. Now, you're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find... Oh. There it is. Drawing board or... Miro. Our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's won. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. We are live on the Charity Stripe Podcast with your hosts, Alex, Josh, and Nick. We're back, babies. The Charity Stripe at your free throws because they are free. Fisher Tosopolis. We have special guests today. We're delving back into some film and television. We have Graham and Parker Phillips, the brothers. They are bros and they are bros. They directed Rumble Through the Dark, which is coming out in November. Toss and I got to watch the film. It was excellent, starring Aaron Eckhart, who we absolutely love, Bella Thorne. Gentlemen, congratulations on a fantastic film. How did it all come together? Well, first of all, thanks, guys. That, yeah, you know, thank you. Not many people have seen the film at this point, so it means the world to us that you guys feel that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. Um, well, Parker uh, actually read the book. He was halfway through uh, the novel when he called me. He's like, Graham, I think I found our freaking next movie, dude. Like, you got to you gotta check this out. And I was about a third of the way through. I'm like, yeah, this is it. And he actually reached out to Michael Ferris-Smith, uh, the author, before we'd even finished, I think you were like halfway through it still when you yeah. sent the email. Um, and we were just like praying that we get to the end of the book and it's not just a total stinker of an end. Thankfully, <laughs> there was a giant fight, which we were hoping that there would be. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, the rest is the rest is history. So was that when you were reading the the book, was that something that like, do you no, read no, only for plus? No, it's history. That's it. That's, <laughs> that's, it. that's it. The rest that's is it. history. That's all we got. They read the well, book and nothing. And it was easy peasy. It was the easiest no, well, film ever made. Nothing. I happened. always, well, I always <laughs> think about like you guys are both writer, actors, and directors. You wear many hats, and 
when you when you're reading like are you always looking with the intent of developing something or adapting it or is it is it for pleasure first and then it's kind of like if it hits you in a certain way then maybe you'll have that conversation about it okay now let's go check the rights the option rights etc like how does that process work for the two of y'all it's really hard because it's like you know i just have piles of books in my room of like things i've read 20 pages of and then you know it's not that the book necessarily doesn't catch you it's just some things sometimes it won't translate on film and then there's that situation that happened with the fighter where you know i was reading it and you know then i called graham and i said i think this is the one because one it you know it basically it begs to be put into screenplay format but also there's the side of you where it goes oh god i really hope this option is available and then that's a whole other part of hollywood where it's like how do you even get the option you know it's like you pray that the writer's on like facebook or instagram and you know and in, in, in the case with michael um you know, he had his email on his site still. And so I sent him an email and I think I, I, I remember we, our composer is Brad Smith and he founded this band Blind Melon and he's from Mississippi himself. So I remember saying like, I'm buddies with Brad Smith just so like he would maybe trust these two kids from Laguna Beach because like we, you know, we have a Mississippi buddy and uh, it actually worked because um, <laughs> he luckily he was a Blind Melon fan and uh, we brought him to the meeting like our first meeting in Mississippi yeah. we like Brad you gotta come he's like hell yeah I'll come down it totally worked out yeah when in doubt bring her wow up. that is and, and yeah, it's taken us probably 750 shows too long to get a Blind Melon reference or yeah. bring up it, uh, on the show I mean that is just like it's just like a, such a good and there is rain the whole... by the way in the movie that's the only spoiler that I'll throw out there there is rain <laughs> there is rain in the movie there is no yeah. no rain yeah. I mean yeah. and it's just like one of the they're a band that everybody knows the songs that everybody loves and you kind of you know but they're not like touring touring like crazy you would never get to meet them so the fact that he digs that it's such a good ploy to kind of yeah. bring him in and to see the deal I, I love that um how is it getting you know the actors in place you know and working with them and because i know you guys again you guys are you know multifaceted artists right you guys are actors directors you do the whole nine yards so how is it working i guess bringing the actors in and then working with you know big name actors and kind of letting them do their thing versus kind of you know you guys jumping in and directing this well something that we learned on this film um and you know any of the casting for any of our films really comes like top down like you got to figure out who your lead is and then you know how sure. like how the rest of the constellation is going to come together uh we had a hard time casting our, our lead we were it's in you know he's got to have an intensity but he's got to have like a, a boyish quality as well he's got to have something to prove he can't just he also can't be someone that you've seen like kicking people's asses and like a bunch of other franchises because the point is he's sort of the underdog there's something unbelievable about this you know this thing it's about the tenacity of human spirit on some level. And anyways, our producer, Cassian Ellis, he's at one point he said, he mentioned Eckhart and we're just like, yes. Like, even though we haven't really seen him do anything like this, we're like, yes, we, he, he, you know, we, we got the sense that he, he has something to say. And we're like, we think that we just felt like maybe he might, this might be the, the vehicle for him to do it in. But, um, and yeah, he totally delivered. Yeah, and he's got he he make he makes interesting choices. You know, he comes from a theater background. You know, he he did you know the Company of Men. You know, was his first big film that put him out there, and he, he's taken risks before. And so we thought, you know, there might be something in this he identifies with. And it turns out when he got sent the script, he called us back, and there was a lot in his own life and his own career that he really could latch onto. You know, um, which for a director, that's kind of the holy grail. You want your actors to have 
you know, some hook into the character so they can put as much as themselves into it. And uh, yeah, he, he, he certainly had that. I think that there's one thing I, I'd add is that we, you know, as young directors, something we're always conscious of is when you go to, you have a veteran across from you, either on the phone or, you know, on set, we don't want to be the ones who don't have the answer for them. You know, we're, mm. we're, we're almost hypervigilant about making sure we're extra prepared. So we, you know, we can, uh, we're prepared for any eventuality if they come up and like, Hey, well, you know, we need, I need to know about blah, blah, blah. And we got the backstory ready for them. We got the tactics they can use as an actor, whatever. But something that was really helpful in this process was recognizing. And a lot of this was just by working with Aaron, getting the confidence to, to say, um, you know, I don't know, let's talk about it. Um, even if we did have a plan to answer, uh, it, it ends up opening up the dialogue and making it a, such a safer place and kind of gets you out of the paradigm of like, there is a right way to do this. There is a correct answer of what's going on in your subconscious or whatever. Because at the end of the day, like, yeah, you can have an idea, but, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes you don't need to know how the sausage is made. Sometimes you just need to like have the space to let it do its own, you know, it, let it all play out and um, let that mystery kind of just uh, emerge and just make the actor know that you really, you trust them. And if you do something freaking weird, it's a movie. We'll cut it out. Like, you know, if you give us one great second of truth, that sometimes is all you need, even if mm -hmm. the rest, you know, weird. Uh, so that was cool for us. <laughs> Yeah, I do think I just it's just an interesting paradox though we see in sports, right? Like because you see these fantastic athletes, and it's like okay, you have like let's just take LeBron James, like because he's the pinnacle, for example. It's why do they have a coach if he's so good? Well, as good as he is, you know, he still needs somebody in some capacity to help direct him, help see things from a different view. So yeah, if you are the and he, his coach is only in his second year. Right. It's not like they brought in like the most veteran coach to teach him, but it's a guy that's confident in his answers. So right. if you have a guy that's like so uber talented and such a veteran, that's great. And, you know, you get that element of confidence in his own choices. But some of the great actors and like great players, their almost best trait is that they're coachable and directable and they, and they take direction and take coaching well. Um, so it's great to hear that you guys kind of came. And I would imagine that's like, you know, as a young crew, you wanted to come in and have the answers because the worst thing I, I could just see the worst situation you guys being in like, yeah, you know what? Keep figuring it out. Just keep trying it and go. And like reverse is like really having a, like a stark opinion. You could kind of lose the locker room, so to speak in that way. Yeah. Well, like sports, um, you know, I feel like there's a, there's so much to be said for uh, preparation and repetition. And then when you're, when you're there on the day, and this is especially true of like MMA, um, there's a sense of you just you just got to let go and you got to be responding moment to moment to moment and you just you have to take the plunge you got to leap off the cliff and know like i'm as prepared as i am and and i gotta have faith in that and mm -hmm. you know uh it's 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 crazy when you can when you get to watch a really great actor or a really great um athlete and they just get to you know, they're just in that flow state and you see it with fighters and you, you know, you see it in all sports, but it's just, there's something electrifying about it. And it was cool. You know, there was a lot of moments on set where my brother and I would just look at each other and we're like, you know, we can't, you couldn't manipulate that. You know, you yeah. couldn't be the parent calling from the sidelines, like, you know, do this, do this, do that. It's like <laughs> out of our hands. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's the best feeling. Yeah. Talk for about better for 
sorry, Tate. Yeah, no, I was just gonna, yeah, for better, for worse, right? For sure. I, I, the, the thing that you just mentioned in regards to the preparation, um, without spoiling any, without spoiling anything, the physicality, the combat is such a massive part of this film, and almost sometimes even more so than person to person, just talking, acting, right? Two people in a in a room together, when it's when it's you know elbow to to left hand when you're catching people's blows but you're actually not landing anything because it's all stunt work um that adds this extra element of challenges and i thought it was artfully and and beautifully done in the, in the scene it was completely bone jarring and anyone who who goes and watches the film um be prepared to kind of be like holding on to your own body being like oh my gosh that's that's crazy. That's, that's bone chilling. And I was talking about before we got on and started recording, just the physical state that Aaron was in um, the entire movie was something that, that gave me anxiety. Um, and I know that that's kind of the intent from, from his angle, but what were the conversations and what kind of preparation and who were the different pieces that were involved with all of the amazing stunt work in this mm. film? Um, and, and what was the kind of the notion of, just seeking the authenticity of MMA and where his background, his character's background of, of combat sports comes into play. Um, Cause it's certainly one of the through lines of the entire film. Yeah. I mean, you know, Aaron was, I mean, Aaron was a beast. He showed up. I mean, from our first phone call, he kind of, you know, admitted to us, he's like, this is, you know, if I, if I go down this road, it's, it's going to be intense. Like, you know what you're asking for. And Graham and I were like, yeah, we know. And uh, he showed up about a month and a half early. Uh, <laughs> he drove down in his truck and he just immediately started training. And he was working, you know, character wise, he was working on his walk. He was working on his speech, his accent, but also physically he was just starting to transform, you know, and um, he was out there, you know, he, he was pretty much the first one out there besides Graham and I. And then, you know, we had our stunt team come in. And they started working out with him in the gym. But even before they had their two-hour workouts with him, he already had gone on a six-mile run that morning. You know, he was on an extremely strict diet. Um, and uh, and then by the time we got to set, you know, Aaron, most actors, when you, you know, yell cut or you have a little time off, they might go to the director's chair, get a drink, sit down, take a break. Aaron immediately would run back to his truck. He'd either pick up barbells and he'd start doing curls or he'd start shadow boxing or he would uh, take big sandbags from the grip department. He'd stick them on his back, you know, and Tass, you're talking about the pain he's in when he watched it. He just would weigh himself down so he could oh physically feel years of, you know, being punched in the gut and being hurt. And he never let himself escape that. So there was no, it, he was relentless in how he threw himself into that role. And he, um, you know, in, in film sets, it's really, you know, you set, you set the mood top down. And so Aaron obviously was our number one. And uh, he just immediately put the bar really high. Um, yeah. and, you know, it was up to everyone else to match it, which was really cool. Yeah. I mean, there, it definitely set a tone on set. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, it's that's that's this. This is what we're doing here. Like, it's going to be intense and it's uncompromising. And like, we're not here to like, we're not here to mess around. Like, we're here to really mm. do this. He would walk through. I mean, I forgot about this. Guy. He would walk through Walmart. Because uh, you know you're a natural. <laughs> yeah. The only places to get everything is you know Walmart. So we'd walk through Walmart to get groceries and whatnot. And most of the time, I mean, he would never be recognized. But most of the time, someone would come up to him and say, "Are you okay?" 
you know, and do you need me to call someone? Because yeah, there's, was, like a, there's a few times in the film I was like that. I was like, yo, like this guy, like you, you, which is what you want. Like you, this he is guy, not, he is not okay. He's not he okay. Not and okay. He, yeah. yeah, he's very far from okay. It's, it's, and you know, I think you lose him, like you lose in a good way. Like you don't, he's a recognizable actor. And he also, his most recognizable roles, he's pretty clean cut. Like actually very clean cut. He's very suit and tie. So you really kind of like you lose that almost right away. You don't realize who it is. And I think that's so important from the film because top down, it helps if you if he's that way, everybody else who's in that world and that really the casting was great. It really like makes it uniform from the top down. Do you guys think like the y'all's theater background? Because like, Parker, you do theater. I know Graham, you do, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've both done theater. Yeah. I was like yeah. the hat you, high school theater kid but yeah that's what hey, no, no hacking bro no hacking it all, it, it all counts it all matters do you do you think that helped kind of in the preparation and the mute and the dance like alex is saying like you know like the like the movement of it all and like the you you have one take but you know you get something different every time and the physical wear and tear that theater takes in the body versus film like do you think that helped your directing bleed that into into the film i mean definitely with the i mean there's there's a giant scene in the movie. It's when he first meets, comes face to face with the antagonist, Big Mama Sweet, who he owes money to. Um, yeah, it's a. I mean, I think that's a nine page scene, you know. And you know, being an independent film, we're shooting it pretty fast. And that, you know, I think that, at least for me, that theater background allowed us to come into that room and just kind of create. I mean, that in and itself was kind of a choreographed fight between these two mm -hmm. people. And just to create a space where we could, you know, have that sense of play and have that sense of it's okay to fail because we're going to figure this out. You know, everyone, everyone in the space came from that background because Marianne John Baptiste, she's from the theater, yeah, that's how he started out. And so it was, you know, in the back of everyone's head, it's hard to forget about the clock, you know, that's ticking when you're on set um, because, you know, in 12 hours, you know, everyone turns into a pumpkin. Um, so, you know, just the fact that people had that background, we were comfortable with, Hey, look, we, we can get this done and still find those little moments of truth and excitement and, you know, unpredictability within the scene. So I don't know. It definitely, it definitely manifested in that way. Yeah. And one thing I was going to say about, you know, Aaron, just about like him transforming, it's just, his character is kind of a, uh, you know, there's an allure to him. There's a legend that goes along with Jack Boucher, the fighter. And it's, you know, and I think hopefully the question people asked during the film, and this is at least how Graham and I wanted to pull it off, was can he do it, you know? And so Aaron really had to wear that. And one of the films that Graham and I both loved and Aaron loved is, you know, Unforgiven. And throughout Unforgiven, the Western, there's that idea of, you know, Clint Eastwood saying, yeah, I don't do that anymore. And the legend of William Money. And so it's not till the end where you get to see whether he's got it. And, or whether he doesn't. And I think, you know, for us, it's that it's, it's, there's a moment at the film where, you know, he decides to fight. And uh, that's, I think, I hope the audience leans a little forward in their seat in that moment and says, you know, can he? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole great. movie, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm just smiling, just thinking about it. Cause I haven't, I don't think we've watched the film in a couple months. Um <laughs> Just thinking about Brad Smith's soundtrack right there, like when he when he when he walks into the cage, um, there's just Brad is such a talented musician, and mm -hmm. 
is gotta give him a shout out for that moment but he also he created these instruments like he took an oil drum like wrapped hide over it attached a double bass like uh neck to it and he's playing these two strings by like slapping it with an antler bone and playing it with a slide and it's got this crazy like he called it the damn joe it's like this wow it's just got this wild like you know the spirit of this of this sort of lost vagabond soul like coming back home and going into the you know the pit with the lions um it's almost like biblical with how epic it feels um yet also like the earth and he's just yeah, it was it was cool. I remember the first time on the mix stage when we heard that. I was like, yeah, yeah. that's unique. Yeah, yeah it's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous how some of these musicians are like these people that can just take like this like little coffee cup thing and then you just the next thing you know this like the ketchup bottle. Like I have like four props here. They can are like you make sure a you're whole- not a foley artist, Josh. What's going dude? On, I, dude? I I might be. Like I, I have so many props around here. I could just honestly start like my own little foley band. Like it, yeah. and the fact that someone could take that with the antler bone is. Re- but that's like how like, some musicians are. They just know sound so well. And the sound and the I really did dig the sound too because obviously the fight scenes are great. But fight scenes and for me at least are so informed by sound. I thought the sound editing. Uh, in the film was, was really inspiring. What were some things that maybe inspired you guys through the film, like that you learned on set, like your biggest takeaway each that you, and maybe even something that you, that happened that you didn't anticipate happening. I definitely think that getting out of the way of actors and just like making it a safe space for them to fall on their face and like, yeah, getting out of the paradigm of right and wrong or that mm-hmm. even know what it's going to be and just being open-minded. That was big for me in particular. Cause I think sometimes I can, I see how I want it to be in my, in my head movie. And, um, mm-hmm. and open to the fact that what comes up and the, the path that ends up, you know, coming from the collaboration of bringing all these people together is more often than not more special than like, yeah. you know, I think it's like, I think it's like sports, you know, cause it's like you prepare and you prepare and you prepare so you can throw out the playbook, you know? And it's like, at mm. the end of the day, right. you know, when it comes down to, you know, in any sports like this, it's just a battle, you know, and you're going to win any way possible. And I think because of that, you have to be really hyper present and aware of, you know, everything that's happening so you can adapt. And I think Mm. filmmaking, I love filmmaking because it's the, you know, I grew up playing sports and it's the closest thing I found to that pressure. You know, I, I, it's kind of sports give you that thing where I, I, I love it because, you know, you'll be, the sun will be setting And you got one more shot. And to pull off that shot, you need your actor to hit his mark. You need him to deliver the line perfectly. Camera department has to move that dolly in exactly the right way. Grandma has to give the perfect direction. Production design has to come in with whatever they're doing. It's got to be in focus. Everyone's got to work together. (laughs) You know, one shot. And then, like I said, you turn into a pumpkin. If you don't get it, you don't get it. And that's, you know, it's, it's, it's really, you know, the same feeling as seconds left on a clock. And I think that filmmaking just, you know, it's addictive in that way. And I, and I think most people who, who are part of it, you know, crave that for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's the moment when you're in those moments of pressure, that's when there's, that's when it really separ- separates the boys from the men because uh, <laughs> the clutch this, gene. Yeah. You, you can either, you, you can let the nerves get to you and you can, you know, you, you take on that pressure or you like, or you double down with the practices that put you right in the moment and it, you alchemize all of that pressure into like almost a sort of like crystalline energy where you're able to really listen in a way that you weren't actually able to before. And when you're able to do that, then 
then amazing things, you know, start to happen when everyone has that that really intense focus. I mean, you in look sports, at the last sports, you call it being in the zone, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, trusting your prep work too. Like like yeah. you guys said, like trusting all the work you put in, your knowledge of the characters and your knowledge of, you know, film and like the technicalities of it. Like trusting that and being comfortable with that, that ultimately brings you into that flow state, that zone. And like I was going to say earlier, you know, it's the most beautiful part, I guess, of sports uh, and film and, and, and any kind of art, really. Uh, Mike Tyson's, I heard it earlier today and just my favorite quote. And Mike Tyson's quote of everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, you know. <laughs> And it just applies to everything like you never I mean, we've all been in we've all performed in things. We've all, you know, been in film and been on like shows like this where you have like we've been on a million shows where we've had a game plan like bang, bang, bang. Like this thing is going to rip and the guy gets in and he wants to talk about or girl wants to talk about nothing like nothing. We have planned like through like questions like one through ten. And we're just like, oh, my God, you know, and so you kind of have to adapt and like, you know, rumble through the dark, so to speak. Uh <laughs> and just and just roll with the punches. Yeah. Um, what were some what were some performances from the other actors that you know outside of Aaron that surprised you or or you know you really were inspired by? I mean they're all great, but anybody's that kind of shook your in mind movie like you were saying, Graham, uh, movie vision of, of what you guys thought this would be. I definitely think that um, Marianne Jean Baptiste had that quality of of listening that, that we're sort of talking about. Um, there's a almost a sense that she's listening with her blood, like she's so present. It's just it's beyond, <laughs> you know. Uh, she was so physically in the room, um, and <laughs> it's funny. Part of it, I wonder if this is where it came from. We talked about the heat and about how the rhythm of the South and uh, in, in the Southern Gothic literature, you know, it's even there where the where the environment is a character in and of itself you know, how that heat sort of makes someone more um, almost animalistic in how how much they need to conserve their energy, like when they're using it, when they're not using it. And, um, you know, I, I'm not sure if uh, Marianne did any, you know, what in theater is called like animal work where you sort of yeah. observe an animal or something like that. But I get the sense that she's the kind of person who might do that. I mean, she comes from a theatrical background and when sure. she was on set she just she owned that house that she was in like she'd been there for 30 freaking years yeah and um and yeah i just i think that her level of presence was was really exciting because when aaron showed up that day he gave us a look that was like oh yeah like thanks for putting me in this uh you know in this yeah. arena like yeah you know he has someone in the, in the lion's den. Yeah. Yeah. People have been matching for so long. And then, you know, it gave him something to react to, which was really important because in that scene, you know, she, she has the upper hand, you know, and she has to, he can't, you don't want an after, actor to have to give it to you. You want an actor who will take it away from the other person. Mm -hmm. Definitely did. Yeah. 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 I think uh, it's really interesting. I was just going to say talking about, just the fact that the the entire movie is set in the Mississippi Delta and the that that place is a character, right? Like the personification of what life is like in that part of of the deep southeast of the United States. Um, and I think you know, I, I I imagine that there were conversations that the two of y'all had about what the look should feel like because of where you are, right? Of course, like the accent work that a lot of these actors had to do, which I thought was phenomenal. Um, 
I got like some, some, some Carrie Fukunaga, you know, uh, true detective vibes in some, mm-hmm. just the way that the shots were put together and whatnot. But, um, was that, did y'all have to, did y'all spend time there before you started shooting? Like prior to that, obviously you location scout and whatnot, but was, was that a place you had been to before? Yeah. A lot of the shots in the, in the film were actually taken from a, a scout that we did like a wow. year and a half before we started production. So we'd started wow. going there to kind of get a sense. This is when we first met with Michael. Um, we met Michael and we brought, you know, we brought whatever DJI drone we were using at the time, which was the latest and greatest, which is now ancient, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> which and- is fine because we always crash them anyways. It's 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 crumpled in some cotton field right now in the middle of Pacific. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> true. We have a- we have a problem with uh, drone retention here at Phillips Pictures. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we uh, we really got a sense for it. I mean, we, we Michael, we just got in his truck and we uh, with the rider and we just started driving around, and, um, you know, doing bayou tours and feeding uh, alligators, marshmallows, and, you know, just all sorts of shit. And we're like, wow, this is Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah, this it's is a beautiful about. thing about, you know, working with, you know, Michael, he wrote the book, he adapted the book into this screenplay and he just he, you know for him you know it's interesting he, he he would say it's the most personal book he's ever written you know mm-hmm. and i think that really kind of made its way into everyone who you know you know was a part of this film but just you know it's such a writers and directors i i've heard can sometimes you know be at each other there might not be a collaboration because you know the visions collide or whatever but for us working with michael it's He's so welcoming, you know, in, in giving us access to his world because, you know, it felt when we read the book, it felt like we had written the book, you know, hmm. which is kind of absurd to say. But, you know, he got that. And, you know, I don't think there's, there, there's no ego with him and, you know, there's not with us. And so he, we would go out there just to kind of he would drive us on the, you know, the Delta roads that he used to took when he was coming up with these ideas, you know. And I think, you know, for us to kind of enter into it that way just felt very you know, very organic, um, yeah. especially the world that we, we didn't grow up in. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly one of those things where as a viewer being objective about it, a lot of times, like when I'm watching something and, and they're not checking the boxes, right. It, it becomes very apparent and evident. And I felt, I, I grew up in Texas. I grew up in Dallas, but my mom was from Louisiana. Like we used to drive from Texas to Florida all the time for vacation. I've driven through Natchez. Like I've been in Mississippi and Jackson, like all these, like it felt very authentic. And like, I never once had a thought of like, no, that's not real. Like, no, that's not how it really is. And so I just, you cool. you always have to laud the filmmaking there. Um, there are specific like TV shows and movies where I have a yeah, list of where I'm like, thinking. they do it right to the place that they're honoring. Right. And I thought that um, y'all really did your, your homework and clearly like being there early and having that relationship um, with that, that part of the United States was was really, really helpful in, in crafting something that, that really worked. And then all the actors as well. I mean, just thinking about how y'all are talking about how Aaron kind of just embraced this challenge. And I thought Bella, you know, this is not something that a lot of people have seen her do. This type of work, this type of character reminds me a lot of when like Blake Lively did the town way back when, mm-hmm. and it was a massive character for her to, to take on at the time. Like them coming into something new and trying something and, and y'all doing this, this being y'all's first big feature that you're, you're co-directing, like, I can only imagine how much that kind of just, just fed into like, everyone's willing to, to learn and, and be okay with like falling on your ass and then like picking yourself up and, and, and putting your best foot forward. So uh, it just, it was really a har- harmonious, like, 
cohesion of a, of a film. And it was really, really fun to watch, honestly. Like, even though, like, it's about combat and, and people are, you know, bleeding out of their eyes in, in certain moments and whatnot and, and saying different things and, and the threat of, of threats is, is always imminent. Like, it was a, lot a of really blood. fun movie. A lot, a lot of blood. Of, a lot of blood in weird spots. I, I, I do think, though, that just on the setting part, I mean, I hate to make it so black and white in film and television, but, like, you know, you either really choose to embrace your setting or you have like the cookie cutter, like we're in the city and that's it, you know, and you may have some like, okay, like, oh, we're in New York and that's all you really get from it. Like, and, and you kind of have that feel, but like, if you take a show like Ozark or if you take a show like Breaking Bad, who like they are, their environment, like Alex is saying, they were tossed, sorry, he says your name over there. <laughs> Alex Toss is saying, uh, it, it's such a second character, you know, yeah. to, to the film. I think it ultimately, again, like the, like you guys are talking about, like, you know, the character work and, it makes it more believable and it makes it feel like you're not watching a movie, but you're in these people's lives, which for a film, that's kind of like a, like a piece, a settings piece. Almost. You almost really need that. Um, in the work we do something called the two minute drill on our show. We rapid fire questions at you guys. Um, and you guys look, it's two minute drill. And I know we've spoken about like kind of being on the clock here, but you can elaborate if you'd like. There's no, you don't, we don't actually have to do it in two minutes. So it's called two minute drill because the you can elaborate as much as you want. Uh, Toss and I got it up here. You want to go back and forth, T, on it? Uh, sure. Yeah, you, you oh, kick yeah. us off. You kick us I'll off. I'll kick you off. All right, gentlemen, both you guys. Guilty pleasure, TV show, and movie. Oh, uh, uh, movie would be anything with Tom Cruise. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, guilty pleasure would be Frasier. Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't feel that guilty about it, but um, but Monty Python's Flying Circus, I think, is probably the closest thing I got. Mm -hmm. Nice. There you go. Did we get a Did we get a Mission Impossible rewatch when the the new movie came out? I you know. <laughs> I, a I, lot of I, a lot of people felt they had the need to, right? They're like, I gotta watch all of them again. I, I watched all of them again. I think the one with Philip Seymour Hoffman, I think it's the third one. I mean, that one's amazing. He's so good. He's such an insane bad guy. That guy's just so dangerous as an actor. I mean, he 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 was, you know, one of a kind. But um, yeah, I yeah, I, I watched them all. I mean, I'm a huge fan. I, I didn't love, I mean, don't tell Tom this, but I didn't love the last one as much. But you know, I'm still uh I'm still a huge Tom fan. I mean, <laughs> I he almost can do getting yeah, I almost get into a point though with with the Mission Impossible's that I love the clips of him doing the stunt than the movie. Like I'm just like looking. I hear okay, new Mission Impossible's coming out. I can't wait for the social media clip of him just like attached onto an airplane or like being underwater for like 30 minutes, like without breathing. Like I'm, I almost look forward to that more. I mean, I, mean, what I think I do next. It's like yeah, right. I feel like I I did the rewatch and I was like, I. I come, I always, I always show up for Tom Cruise, but I come back for Simon Pegg like every time. Like he's just so funny. Like he's so, he's so good. He's so good. I, I expect at a future film that y'all make together a mask pull at some point as, as, uh, just just as Brian De Palma did many a times in that'd be, that'd be great. or in an interview, actually. That'd be, we, we, that, would, that would be, that would be epic. <laughs> uh, all right. Next question film that inspired you the most to be the entertainer you are. For me, uh, I mean, it's, we have a lot of the same inspiration, so I might be it's hitting so on annoying. him too. But, um, you know, No Country for Old Men is like... Oh, yeah. You know, 
Alex, I know you're from Texas and it's just like, they, they, you talk about nailing place and character and um, you know, it's, I think that will always be our kind of, you know, uh, you know, North star as far as, you know, where we want to be. Um, so the Cohen, anything the Cohen brothers have done, you know, they're definitely, you know, kind of our idols and uh, yeah, yeah. We, we rewatch that movie often. Hmm. There's also this film uh, that not a lot of people know about, uh, the Brothers Bloom, which was mm-hmm. one of Ryan first films that he did, maybe like his third or, or something like that. And that that to me, and I, I know mm-hmm. to an extent for you as well, like um, it just it threaded that line between reality and theatricality that just, you know, it, it is so great. Like it had qualities of Amelie, but was like very also mm-hmm. very grounded and the danger felt very real. Um, and having, you know, and I think the Coen brothers are great at that too. Like there's some of the characters they are like, these guys, this is a caricature, but you buy it. You totally buy it. Um, and when the stakes are high, it's just like, you know. And it's, and it's a brother it. movie too. It's like, it's yeah, yeah it's always, yeah, it's like the fighter or warrior or, you know, Rain yeah. Man. And it's like, yeah, they hit. Yeah, yeah, for you guys, I'm sure. Um, and just kind of maybe, you know, interjecting off that question, was there ever a point where you guys felt like almost fed up with the arts entertainment industry? Like, I feel like everyone kind of goes through that. And was there a film that brought you back? Like, oh, okay, now I'm back and I want to do this again because of X, Y, Z. Yeah, rumble, rumble through the dark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> great, great answer there. The novel itself was like very, are we allowed to curse on this show? Yeah, you can yeah, say go for it. Yeah. And take it out later um but basically <laughs> like he told us from the very beginning like this this novel is my fuck you novel like to all the people that said no to all the people who like because of their own broken hearts or whatever knows they got like told me no no you can't do this you can't do this he's like that's where jack boucher came from that's where the image of this bullied boy on the playground who raises his middle finger to the to the bullies right before he basically gets beaten to get the shit beat out of him um you know, that's where this movie came from. And, and everyone came to this movie with something to prove, you know, uh, on some level, like, you know, uh, I know that Aaron and Bella and Marianne, like they came and they, they knew that they were, they want, there was something in them that wanted to, they wanted to show something that they hadn't shown before. Um, and we certainly wanted that for ourselves. And, um, you know, it's hard. There's a long list of directors who've made one movie. Um, and it was really, you know, it was really hard to get this one going. And even when it started, like it just between the COVID of it all and, you know, getting shut mm-hmm. down and actors getting sick and, and, and hurricanes, you know, blowing up our schedules and, and lightning and, and our, our VFX people being based in Ukraine, right. As Russia's invading, like constant, just shit going down and down. So just making it to the end of this film was that for us, you know, that was sort of our planting of the flag. Like we can get through, anything if we got through this baptism of fire so that's that's sort of where we're at now where do we else do we hear that toss the ukraine there was there was a, we had another guest that had that issue was it was it the wilt chamberlain documentary yeah yeah it was yeah they wow. had the same issue they had the same issue as you guys it was they did a wilt chamberlain doc really cool um goliath uh jesus uh, there we go goliath on showtime great documentary yep. series and they have the same issue yeah, it's tough. It's a lot yeah. of really I good editors in Ukraine. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Definitely, definitely try and use them. Josh, you want to hit the next one with the Yeah, I got it. Uh, Mount Rushmore of directors slash actors. 
You could do two separate Mount Rushmores. You could. I think do two separate ones. I want to. I want to hear. Yeah, I want to hear both. So your top four. I feel like we're gonna like. I feel like I want to pick first. You can't pick. I'll 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 put Scorsese on there. Then I would I would put I would put Paul Paul Thomas Anderson on mine. Do the Coen Brothers count two? You can can split them. Can they be like one? They're one. They're one, dude. They're one. It's like it's like Ice Climbers and Super Smash Brothers. They're one. Yeah. <laughs> one goes off. Yeah. Um, probably Dennis, you know, Villeneuve. I just saw, I watched rewatch Dune the other day. I mean, yeah, he's incredible. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, in Yar too. I mean, yeah. that guy is like, I mean, if you do a movie, Bur- I mean, Bird coming from Birdman and then The Revenant, I love actors and directors who refuse to be put into a box, you know, and I think that's so important with Hollywood because Hollywood is designed kind of, you know, it can be a great place but also can be a really tough place to succeed in because hollywood is designed to keep people out you know which is graham and i've been battling you know they follow patterns and it's to put you in a box you know so like you know i think you know even graham and after this film it's like okay now where do we move how do you move somewhere different and i think every uh, director we're mentioning you know they they refuse to let that happen to them which um you know is really admirable and you know speaks to them as an artist maybe paul thomas maybe maybe paul thomas anderson the most honestly for all, all of them, all of them. I would say the one thing about you mentioned Inaratu, um, and The Revenant, like, is one of those films where, without even realizing it, like, casual moviegoers would go and they'd see it and they'd be like, "Oh wait, forty minutes have gone by and no one said a word." And I think Rumble Through the Dark again, like we talked about Aaron's performance, his physical state. There is not a lot of dialogue in the first forty-five minutes of this film, and it just goes to show like you can, you can tell a story another way. And then we talked about the sound design. We talked about, like I just mentioned the physicality, the, the stunt work, like the representation of the Mississippi Delta at, on screen, right, right through imagery. Those are almost um, my favorite parts, honestly, yeah. is just like the physicality and just like living in this space that y'all created. And it's ironic because you bring up, uh, I th- I'm pretty, no, I thought it was Javier Bardem as Benicio del Toro, but he, one of the AE lessons we learned in, you know, theater school is, you know, people always want to ad lib and they want to add stuff. And he's like, nah, he gets a script and he takes stuff out because he, because picture really is worth a thousand words. So I think like I, I learned so much more about the characters in the film uh, in y'all's piece, just by maybe even the moments without dialogue. Like you learn Toss texting me when, you know, there's a scene where he puts some funny glasses on and I'll leave it at that. Like you learn everything you need to know about that guy Maybe even in that little bit, like, you know, you, you guys talked about that boyish yet hard charm. Like you learned so much about that guy in five, 10 seconds. Like mm-hmm. and Alex, you know, he pinged me on that. I was like, oh my God, like, it's just so true. Um, yeah. Matt Rushmore for actors. Uh, Daniel Day. Uh, I think that uh, Meryl Streep gets out of her own way. Like it's nobody's business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Really great way to put uh, it. Uh, Javier Bardem just as like an energy that just comes in unbridled like I've always I just think that you know that that's just he's just mm-hmm. <laughs> he's just so powerful and so good I think Viggo Mortensen you know he, he's Ooh. he's he's so picky with his roles but he really chooses such interesting characters you know um you know that guy's great a- pick dude yeah, just he's just the embodiment of cool. Captain, I watched I, Captain Fantastic absolutely rips. 
That's a great. He's so, yeah. yeah, he's so good. I think uh, we love Mads Mickelson too. Like we've he's... always had a soft spot for him. Mm, nice. Maybe my favorite Hannibal. Honestly, I I tough to admit because I I'm a I mean Hopkins is the best, but that TV yeah. show is actually really incredible because Mads is so so darn good in it. The Hunt is so underrated, dude. I, I just watched that a couple weeks ago. It's an am- amazing movie. Uh, Hackman, Gene Hackman, I think is like one of the greatest actors of all time. The guy, uh, Ult- I mean, ultimate I- debate on our show. Yeah, because yeah, you know, Hoosiers, Hoosiers is a hot, hot, de- not like hot, hot debate, but it's a debated think, movie on our show. Kinda, oh, I, think okay. it, I think it kind of sucks. I think it doesn't sucks. suck. Hoosiers is, <laughs> I, and I love it. I love not it. because of Hackman's performance. I just, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Well, he's one of those guys that's just like you know. I think there's a famous quote. He's like, I don't, I don't need to hear anything. Just tell me where to stand. You know, and uh, you know, as much as <laughs> and I love interacting with actors, there are certain actors where all you got to do is get out of their way. You know, and you know. Tell them where to stand. Um, Fire line. Uh, T, you want to take the next one? Yeah. Uh, most talking about <laughs> All right, there you go. movies that I don't <laughs> like. Uh, most underrated and most overrated film. Hmm. Oh, man. Um, God, I feel like we have a lot of movies. You know, Rotten Tomatoes is really weird now. Like, I, it's, it's really like Graham and I thought we were losing our minds because we, we will see you know, movies that are certified fresh above 90% and we'll go. And then, you know, we'll just be like, should we, you know, I guess we'll walk out, but like everyone seems, I guess people like it. And you know, that's, those are the movies that sometimes worry Graham and I like, are we void here? (laughs) It's like supposed to be this trusted barometer, but sometimes it it fails you. Right. And it's like, maybe we should just throw it away and just walk into the film and, and it is what it is. Right. I don't know. Like that's how I'm kind of at this point, but I think in the in the Scorsese bubble, I feel like uh, just because for some reason that's why I'm thinking about it right now. Uh, I feel like Gangs of New York is probably one of the more underrated in his in his realm. I just think that's just such a badass movie, and I just think that the acting is is just to, to die for. And I'm yeah. like to be able to do a, pull a period piece off like that, so good. Um, yeah, I think that's an example of a movie that Graham and I, you know, it's probably a top five for us, but it, it, most people don't put it in Scorsese's, and I think. But for us, that's kind of our, you know, again, that's another world with heightened characters, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think that that's something that, you know, but it's still epic, you know, on that level. And so, you know, we definitely gravitate towards those types of stories. Killers of the Flower Moon, I had a hard time with, I got to say. I think think it could have trimmed it down a bit. And I, like I heard that's what I heard at the bar the other day. Someone was like, it gets good like two hours in. I'm like, two hours in? Like, I haven't seen it. it. I haven't seen it. I could see it next weekend. But if you haven't seen that or you haven't seen Rumble Through the Dark, I have seen Rumble Through the Dark and you should go see that instead. <laughs> nice, That's what I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could fit a couple of Rumble Through the Darks into one Killers of the Flower. Rumble Through the Dark is what? 148, 145 if you take out the opening and ending credits around there? Having to go to the bathroom. That's kind of where we wanted it to. Uh... Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Like I was talking with my brother. I was like, well, like, you know, because you got Oppenheimer, you got Killers of the Flower Moon. And these are like, you know, the greatest living filmmakers of today. And it's like, do you consider making a movie where I feel like a movie you shouldn't have to use the restroom, right? And so it's kind of like, you know, I think you should be able to sit through the entire movie and not have to get up. Because otherwise you're going to miss something. Are you supposed to miss sure. something? You should. I peed twice during Oppenheimer. Yeah, I mean, I basically, I, I came from bladder issues. It is the bladder issues, honestly. But yeah, I did, uh, you know, ironically. Um what's 
what was an overrated film? Sorry, if you guys want to throw one out there before we get to the next one. Overrated film. Oh, well, I, I guess think, you threw out Killers of Flower Moon. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we're going to, Scorsese's going to send a hitman against us, but I don't think yeah. really care. Well, well, he's probably pretty unbothered. Yeah. Yeah. Best, this is just the me, you know, the theater, theater guy in me. Best play. Maybe that you've been in, or maybe just like your favorite play. I love. Uh, I really like True West. Nice. I saw uh, nice. Ethan Hawke uh, nice. in, with uh, Paul Dano, and wow. That nice, cool. wow, yeah, that was pretty killer. That is sick. I saw great, I saw, great play, great cast. I saw um, The Handing in Spokane, and it's with Christopher Walken, and it's it's about this guy who carries around a bag of hands. And he's missing his hand and he's trying to find who has his hand. So anytime he hears about, you know, some severed hand, he's going to that place and he's trying to see, is this, could this be the hand? And it's written by the same guy who did In Bruges, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. You know, and a Sharon. And uh, I, we saw Walken in that and we saw Sam Rockwell. They were both in the play. And yeah, that, that, that blew us away. Oh, there yeah. yeah. Rock on, on Rockwell, Rockwell yeah. play is absolute, you know, he's butter and steak, dude. Yeah, can't <laughs> can't miss. <laughs> He's amazing. Yeah, can't miss. Uh, T, you want to hit the next one? Yeah, last two here. First one, favorite memory performing, and then the other one is going to be our your favorite sports memory, which is what we ask every single guest that comes on the show. And it could be playing, could be watching on the sports side of things. You can mold that one over while you give us your favorite memory performing. Um. Yeah, my, my favorite memory, I was in this, uh, I was in the musical Kiss Me Kate in high school. And uh, you were? Yeah. Hell Who did yeah, you? Bro. I played, uh, I was one, I went to high, I went to theater for, I went to high school for theater for high school. I went to high school for theater and college. So oh. we did like a, we had a million things. I mean, this, it was actually probably my favorite one I've been in. It was so free and so fun. I was one of the gangsters and it was just like, you barely had to sing. You had like one song and you just had to walk around like a New Yorker for like three hours and we just ripped it and had a blast. Yeah. Br- brush up your Shakespeare was your song. I remember. Yeah. So yes. my story is about someone who played the gangster. So I, I was in a scene with the two gangster guys and they came up to me and it's like, you know, like one of the cool things about theater was like, you know, you always got to think on your feet, you know, if someone drops a line, you got to pick them back up and whatever. And this, uh, my, my friend who's playing one of the gangsters, he came up to me and I could tell he, he'd gone up. He didn't know his line. Mm-hmm. So he's looking at me in the eye and usually you give him a couple seconds and then I was just going to kind of, you know, throw out something and keep going. But instead of just giving me some like softball, just something I could play with. I remember he looked at me and the line he came up with was the show is over. And I remember standing there and I just been like, what the fuck? <laughs> if everything you could have said, like, how do I turn that into something? And honestly, yeah. I don't, I don't remember, but I do remember that fondly because that is the great thing about, you know, what we were talking about earlier, uh, you know, with theater and film compared to sports, anything can happen, you know, and that's what's exciting about it. Um, and you just got to figure out something to do. It's a tough break for that guy. That, that character has like maybe 15, 20 lines. Like you, you're not like you're just like a you're just like cayenne pepper on the play. Like you're barely you in it. You're in it for like a little humor. That's, that's a tough look for that. Dude. Yeah, it's it's not that work. much pressure that one. Uh, what about you, Graham? Uh, that's funny. My mine is also uh the the joys of um live theater 
uh, and sort of what can go wrong. It's funny that that's where we both went. Um, so I just did um, Sunday in the Park with George at the Pasadena Playhouse. Nice. And, um, you know, for those who aren't familiar with the show, um, at the very end, it's about this artist, George Surratt, in the first act. And then the second act, it's a great grandson um, who's a, an artist who's in, in between art projects and sort of questioning everything and like, why the hell am I even doing this stuff? I'm just caught up in this machine and, you know, putting, putting out what I know people want to see and there's no heart to it anymore. And basically his, his ancestors come back to him and he's having this conversation and he's going back to this Island where, um, is where George Surratt, his great granddad did his famous, like the famous painting from Ferris Bueller's day off. And he's, he's there trying to get inspiration on the Island of La Grande Jatte. He's looking around and, He's just really disillusioned and it, things are a little grayer than he would have imagined. And, you know, the, the sky is, you know, the weather's not great. And I just remember it was raining like hell that day in Pasadena. And it's, a, it's like the oldest theater in in the West Coast. It's Absolutely. so old and it's gorgeous, but it's old. And I just remember there was like, right as I like look up in the sky to look at the weather there was like some kind of break in like in the rafters and just water started just like pouring down area of the stage it was like my own little personal rain cloud like like truman show or something no that's great and the audience started laughing and everyone on stage started laughing it was so emotional like you know i think i mean if i wasn't crying it was like i was on the verge of losing it anyways and it was just like when it kind of when when sorrow gives gives away to comedy it's a great moment you know because everyone was feeling that yeah that's a great moment dude like just like it's the it's it's very rare but when you and the audience can have like a shared laugh and like a shared moment is just such like an an awesome awesome time are you guys doing a are you guys doing like a live or have you done like a you know like a big premiere for for rumble through the dark and if so are you doing it you know with the sag Strike. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We got a waiver, but still, it's you know kind of limiting. So we're we're doing like a we'll we'll do a couple screenings. Where we'll have some friends and family and crew, nice. and hopefully a couple cast members. But yeah, nothing crazy. Um, nice. We'll have a good after party though. Yeah, that's good. Good. Now that been, really how, counts. How has that been? Like navigating kind of just like this film being ready to be released, being released, the strikes as writers as as actors all of this happening at the same time. Now, of course, you know, there's an agreement with the writers and the actors are negotiating, but I imagine the two of y'all are in both guilds. Like, how has that been for y'all? Like, what's the communication been like with the cast? Like trying to kind of keep everything intact. We just wanted the actors to be able to promote their performances because they did such a damn good job. So it was just such a that like, it felt like they're being penalized, but of course we understand where it's all coming from. Of course. Um, So, I think right now it's just relief that we got this waiver. People are, Bella's going to be able to start talking about it. Um, you know, Aaron, I think is on set in New Zealand, but um, you know, it'll be nice for him to start talking about the project and um, it'll just be nice for it to come out too. It's like, you know, we've just been sitting on it for so long, you know, and uh, just to hear people's reactions because, you know, it's why we made the damn thing. Like, yeah. We wanted yeah. to tell the story. Unlike theater, where when you're doing it, you're telling the story, there's this right. weird gap where, like, you know, you, <laughs> we were kind of joking about how, you know, you, it's, it can be a very lonely process to do what we're doing because you start off and you have this idea and it's almost so fragile that, like, it could just, it could break. Someone breathes on it the wrong way and you're 
sort of holding this this flag going across the battlefield saying like come on follow me we got this thing and you're like people are like oh i don't know if i really want to help you and you maybe get a couple other people to help yes. you and the next thing you know after like come on come on you're dragging everyone along you finally like what oh my god we got 110 150 people on set and like we're doing it we're doing the thing and you get them and then they all leave and it's you and an editor alone in a room and you're back to just like the most isolated and then finally you're here at the very end and it's like you know, it's your time to actually let the story go. And, um, and it's just strange, like what a, what an unusual kind of bell curve of a long birthing process it is creatively. So it's, it's strange because a part of us at the end of the process wants to go like, we've worked so hard on this, let's just move on to the next thing. But it's important to remember, like, we haven't actually told the story yet. Like it hasn't actually right. come out. And so to, you know, to honor that and be proud of that and, you know, make sure that we're in a celebratory state of mind as opposed to like, well, finally, you know, that's, that's been really important. Nice. Yeah. Well, we I like the, I like the we liked it. Everyone image. else is going to like it again. That's like, so I can't true. even, I'm just going to keep so lauding the, it's super fun. It's just super fun. I don't yeah. know. Minutes. <laughs> we're done no. with it. i told you brother two, you have one more you have your favorite sports it's, the, ex pop. it's the extended cut it's the scorsese of two minutes it's, the, right it's, now. The, it's the killers of the flower moon two minutes my cousin yeah speaking of scorsese didn't pesci, pesci do that and my cousin benny are you sure about those two minutes <laughs> it's hilarious. that epic epic movie everybody should see my cousin uh, uh we've given you plenty numbers. of time though on the sports memories longer so. than most got to think so yeah, yeah. um I mean, me, for me, I mean, I guess, I, I don't know. It's hard to decide between two things. Like, I just remember, I'm like, come from like tennis golf background. Andre Agassi's final run at the Open. It was just, Very you pain. know, so much pain and you could see it on set. And like, you know, th that's what, you know, kind of the end of our movie reminds me of things like that. And on then, set. I mean, not on set, on court. What am I saying? Uh, on Arthur Ashe. Um, during, and, during the set. During the set. During the set. Yeah, I got to Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I mean, Tiger Woods when he freaking broke his leg during the U.S. Open and fought through it. I mean, that's, I mean, that, that guy's amazing, you know, um, what he's able to fight through and how he's just able to deliver in the moment. Um, and so, you know, I think, uh, I think, I think that one's hard to beat mm -hmm. for sure. I, yeah. I think this this last Alcaraz Djokovic uh, major was wow. I mean, that was that was wild. That, just as far as like the drama of the whole thing and like the battle of the generations for me that was i thought for sure you're gonna pick like a pickleball match that you'd like well, what are we talking about are you are you saying, are you saying for us <laughs> it could be anything it could be anything dude anything and my brother and i we play pickleball and like tennis together a lot and like he like fist pumps against me which i just think is we've actually never talked about this so this is probably good but like it's a find, good time i find it like <laughs> Like, you know, we're playing a friendly thing. And I don't know what you guys think about fist pumps, but like I, I fist pumped when I'd like, you know, was playing college sports or something. But like, you know, a fist pump against a brother on a friendly, I just feel like I don't know. I don't know if it's what's the it. what's the circumstance like Graham, do you never win? Like, do you do you did you finally get a set? If that's the case, then I think the fist pump is warranted. Is warranted. But if it's even keeled, like you guys are always neck and neck and like eh, i win i win three i, sets think, I row, actually disagree i think it's always warranted like if like if you're feeling a fist bump you're feeling a fist bump like sometimes no, but like, I, how I often do we get to, how often do we get to do I, it though like we don't get to no, do it that much something anymore. about tennis like when you're past like 22 or it's kind of like i think 
okay, you won and that's good. And maybe you shouldn't fist pump. I don't know. That's just my opinion. I'm the guy that doesn't like Hoosiers though. So just, you can't. Also the guy, yeah, the Grinch is still fist pumps, dude. Like, absolutely not. Like, I I think that just, maybe I'm just at this point in my life right now, but I think it's just, you just got to let it out. You know, I think that. Get it where you got it, dude. Just like one of these sometimes like really just hits home. Like not to go against it. Like like, like, fist pump if it's not like. okay. It bounces if it bounces once on the net and then kind of like happens to dribble back on his side. I'm not saying I'm gonna be like, come on, but like I'll give he it looks, like a- he looks to like the he looks to the fake audience, you know, the audience that would be surrounded. <laughs> really just like, like an are you not entertained moment? Yeah, yeah, that's- exactly. He's not. It's I'm not the ultimate talk crap though. I talk crap from the jump. Like it'll be early, dude. Fantasy football draft will be over. I don't know anybody in the league. I'll be like, y'all are, I'll be like, I'll just start talking so much shit to people. Just everybody. And even if I don't know, I'm just like down the line. You just, I'm just, I'm team grip it and rip it. I, okay, I love so it. I think I know what the doubles teams would be with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure, dude. And we, 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 we'd, we'd probably go down, but we would go down swinging for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Graham Parker, thank you so much. Congrats on a great film. Enjoy the ride uh, and enjoy the journey that you guys continue to go on. And we're looking forward to the release of this one. And of course the next one, whenever that may be big congrats fans out there. Drag both feet inbound, swing on a full count, rip that puck, hit that putt at your PKs because they free and your free throws. Why? Because they are free and go see Rumble Through the Dark November 3rd. Go see it, baby. Thanks, guys. You guys are awesome. Yeah, it's really. And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. We are live on the Charity Stripe Podcast with your hosts, Alex, Josh, and Nick. Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today, we talk brainstorms with UX designer Brian. Let's go. First question. You thought you'd see everyone's idea in the team brainstorm, but you've got a grand total of one. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board, right? Because in Miro, the team can add ideas now or later. And with privacy mode, we can keep them anonymous until they're good to share. Correct. Next, you need the best way to explain your idea, but all you have is a few sticky notes. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, because, you know, in Miro, I could record videos, add text, images, links, and digital sticky notes, of course, present my thoughts the way I want. Right again! Now, you're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find... Oh, there it is. Drawing board or... Miro. Our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's one. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro Brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.